well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you've joined us on the program today. Coming up here in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk with Alex Bosco from SB Tactical about the uh, latest regarding the uh, ATF and uh, pistol braces. Yeah, because things are just continuing to look awfully hinky there. And this may just be the tip of the iceberg, honestly, as we get closer to uh, a Biden administration and an empowered and weaponized uh, ATF. But uh, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Hopefully you had a a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, We also have coming up on the uh, program an absolutely insane armed citizen story out of Broward County, Florida. You may recall back in uh, 2018 when the shootings took place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Broward County Sheriff's officers um, came under a lot of criticism for failing to respond to those gunshots, including a a sheriff's deputy who was there on campus who refused to go inside the building uh, where innocent lives were being taken. The, uh, The coward of Broward, they called him. Well, there's some very uh, similar um, uh, experiences that uh, some Broward County residents have uh, uh, faced recently when sheriff's deputies waited hundreds of yards away uh, from where an individual was trying to break into people's homes. Yeah, and the sheriff's office uh, really not forthcoming with any sort of explanation as to why officers refused to respond to this call. We'll get to that story in just a minute, but we've been talking for several weeks about what's going on with the uh, ATF and their determinations regarding uh, pistol braces, right? Specifically uh, SB Tactical that started out with uh, the Honey Badger pistol uh, and uh, a cease and desist letter that ATF had sent uh, the maker of the Honey Badger, QLLC. That cease and desist letter was rescinded But originally, the ATF had claimed that, look, uh, this pistol brace that's on this AR-15 style pistol is not actually a pistol brace at all. Uh, It's a stock, and it turns that AR-15 pistol into a short-barreled rifle, which is a National Firearms Act item, unregistered possession of which is a federal crime punishable by 10 years in prison and a huge fine. So we talked with Alex Bosco from SB Tactical about this uh, right after that cease and desist letter was rescinded. But the issue is still very much alive, and it appears that uh, there are uh, individuals within the ATF who are continuing to uh, pursue the issue, not just with SB Tactical, but, but against pistol braces generally. You know, we know that Joe Biden said on the campaign trail that he wanted to ban AR-15 rifles and every other so-called assault weapon, right? He wanted to ban them, and Americans were either going to have to turn them over to the federal government in exchange for some undetermined amount of cash, a compensated confiscation, as I call it. Joe Biden called it a buyback, but they didn't sell these guns in the first place. So how could the government buy back these guns? They can't. It's a compensated confiscation. The other option under Biden's plan was that the owners of these firearms could then register, if they wanted to keep them, they could register them under the National Firearms Act. They could pay a $200 tax stamp. If they did not do so, again, they would be in possession of an unregistered NFA item, and they could be facing years in prison for simply maintaining possession of the gun that they own. 
given the results of the election, there was no blue wave. Democrats did not get the gains that they thought they were going to get in the U.S. Senate. Matter of fact, right now, there are 50 Republican senators. There are 48 Democrat senators. You've got two open seats down in Georgia. The runoff election is January the 5th. If Republicans win one of those seats, they're going to be in control of the U.S. Senate. Democrats also lost ground in the House in the elections. Right now, it looks like Republicans are going to pick up at least 10 seats uh, in the House of Representatives. So the legislative anti-gun agenda of Joe Biden right now is very much in question. It looks like it's going to be a really tough haul for Biden to get his gun ban through Congress. That's really good news for gun owners. We can't go to sleep, can't be quiet about this, though, because we know that anti-gun activists within the, uh, the, the, the Biden orbit are going to do everything that they can to try to pursue their anti-gun agenda. And if they can't get it done legislatively, well, they're going to try to do what they can administratively through regulatory actions. So, for instance, Biden had talked about on the campaign trail uh, banning the importation of so-called assault weapons. And he can apparently do that via executive action. Just stroke of the pen, no more importations of semi-automatic firearms, semi-automatic rifles that, uh, you know, the Biden administration would determine to be, quote-unquote, assault weapons. But one of the other things that Biden could do and that the ATF could do and that the ATF already looks like they're starting to do uh, is to go after AR-style pistols, most of which have a pistol-stabilizing brace on them that the ATF is now arbitrarily determining in some cases, but not all yet, that these pistol stabilizing braces are in fact stocks and they turn a pistol into a rifle. How on earth are manufacturers supposed to know? Well, they, they, they can't actually because the ATF says now they're examining firearms holistically. They're taking a look at the entirety of the firearm before determining whether or not it's an NFA item as opposed to looking at stabilizing braces themselves and figuring out, okay, is this a stabilizing brace? Is this actually a stock? What happens when you put this on any firearm? This, this, this arbitrary and capricious standard by the ATF makes it virtually impossible for folks to comply. And it now appears as if there's uh, maybe some shenanigans being played uh, within the agency itself. We'll talk about this with Alex Bosco from SB Tactical, but this goes back two years to 2018 and a letter that was sent by the ATF to SB Tactical that was recently revealed as part of a FOIA request and the assumption, if you read this letter from the ATF back in 2018, is that SP Tactical was doing something wrong, that they were selling products that were not approved or ATF compliant. As you will learn, that letter from the ATF alleging that activity contains a lot of outright falsehoods. Hey, Alex, thanks so much for coming back on the program, sir. It's good talking with you once again. Good talking to you too. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you bet. Uh, wish the, uh, the the subject matter was better because this story has just gotten crazier. I mean, since so the last time that we had you on, we were talking about uh, the ATF's sort of out of the blue determination uh, that uh, uh, one of your uh, SP tactical braces was in fact, uh, uh, you know, when it's on a, a, a AR style pistol, turns that AR style pistol into uh, a short barreled rifle. Uh, and, and since then, uh, the story has just gotten 
even more bizarre. I, I, you know, not from the uh, the standpoint necessarily of uh, uh, the ATF doing things that, uh, that that we wouldn't expect them to do, but how they're going about this uh, is just absolutely crazy. Um, and, and this now goes back to 2018, right? So Ammo Land had a story a few days ago uh, talking about this uh, a letter that had been sent to you all in 2018 regarding your marketing materials for a couple of your products. Is that right? That's exactly correct. The 2018, uh, July 2018 letter was a letter we received um, about two days before sitting down with uh, the director of the ATF. At the time, it was Tom Brandon, I believe. And we received this letter two days before. So it was interesting that we got it, and then we were sitting down with the ATF literally two days after we got it. Okay. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting how how it's been released. It's interesting how some people have liked to frame it, and I think most of it has been generally wrong, and people are starting to understand that. Okay, so this letter, uh, again, dated July 18, 2018. Dear SB Tactical, this letter is to inform SB Tactical that certain products currently marketed and sold by SB Tactical have not been evaluated or approved nor approved by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, uh, Firearms Technology Industry Services Branch. Uh, it's come to the attention of FTISB that all of SB Tactical quote-unquote braces are being marketed as evaluated and approved by ATF as pistol-stabilizing braces, although in most cases, the letter said, no evaluation or classification uh, have ever occurred. So when you got this letter back in 2018, first of all, what was your response? Uh, not only, not just to the ATF, but what was your personal response when you read this? Um, there were a few swear words, which I won't repeat, simply because <laughs> we had met with them on several occasions before that with our attorneys, one of which is the former director of the ATF, Mike Sullivan, who was presidentially appointed. And in those meetings, with all of our products on the table, we always asked, with, in the presence of Marvin Richardson, who is now the number two person at, at the ATF, we always said, listen, can we agree, okay, that as long as our products are all made with the same technology, and that is two rubber flaps and a Velcro strap, that we don't need to keep submitting the products um, you know, and wasting your time on it. Because essentially, if it's two flaps in the strap and every product does the same thing and it works the same way, why would even why would they want that to be done? And they agreed. They agreed with us in the presence of our attorney. Um, and after that, we, we you know, we, we simply said that our products were ATF compliant. It's interesting that they say on here that uh, SD tagual braces are being marketed as, as evaluated and approved in italic, which means that we actually said that. Um, we did say evaluate it because they've evaluated the technology we use, mm -hmm. but never. I, I would love, you know, we're talking to the internet now. Please, somebody out there, find at any given point in time that SB Tactical has stated that our products have been approved. That is a, a, a utter and total lie. We have never said that. What we said was ATF compliant. And the reason we said ATF compliant and not ATF approved was because the, the, the technology that our braces are made, how it's made, are compliant with previously approved products. Well, and, and to that end, this letter that the ATF sent you back in 2018 said that the only SB tactical braces that have been approved were the SB15 and the MPX PSB models. They said none of the mm -hmm. other 23 brace models uh, uh, that were sold had been evaluated, except that's not true. 
Alex, right? Well, I mean, well, back in 2017, there were a couple of other models that were specifically <clears throat> approved by the ATF. Yeah, but let 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 let's take a step back. Okay. okay? They stop and they stop and say that above that they say uh, that well above that they say that the SB15 and the MPX PSB are the only two SB tactical braces that are approved. Above that, they say that uh, where is it? Here it is. STISB does not approve stabilizing braces, which are similar or based off of shoulder stocks. So before we get down to the fact that indeed there were other products that were approved, above that, they're actually telling me that they don't approve braces that are, uh, that are based off of shoulder stock designs. Well, that's interesting because if anybody looks up the MPX PSB, okay, which was one of our best-selling braces and it took patches to the MPX, mm-hmm. the SIG MPX, it is, it is nearly an identical copy of the stock, except that it's made and intended and designed to be a brace because it has what? Two flaps made out of rubber and a Velcro strap. If people look at the picture side by side, okay, it is essentially the same product. The SC15 side by side compared to some other stocks that are out there it looks the same as well. So above you're telling me that you don't approve stabilizing braces, which are similar or based off of shoulder stock design in 2018, when you've approved, I think of any of the competing products that are out there that are an SB tactical, they don't look like stocks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then we can go down to the bottom part where they say that, you know, SB tactical braces not submitted nor approved by ATF. Another lie. It's another Like they're doing false advertising to me because the SOB, which is on the Galil, the Galil pistol and the SBM 47 and the SOB 47 and the SBM four and the SBL, like those are all approved. All of them are approved. And it's interesting because the SBM four is essentially, if you look at it, the same thing as the SBA three without the two angled struts. And the SBA3 is our best-selling brace. We've sold, I don't know, over a million of those at this point. You, you know, all right, so I've got so many questions here. Um, uh, looking at the, uh, the the Truth About Guns wrote about this a couple of days ago, uh, and they said, um, you know, you're probably wondering what SB Tactical did back in 2018 when they received this letter. Uh, they did what any responsible manufacturer would do. They submitted every brace that had not been specifically reviewed by the ATF for their approval And what was the outcome of those submissions? They say nothing. Zero, zilch, nada. Two years later, the ATF has still not issued a final classification letter for any of the submissions that were cited back in 2018. Is that true? That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, look, there have been so many products that have been approved uh, since since before then as well. So, I mean, again, I don't want to call out competing uh, products because, there's a lot of them out there, okay? Yeah. And some of these people, you know, are jumping on this bandwagon. And again, I don't want to mention names, but some people came out and said, well, we got approvals for ours. You know, and if you think about it, you know, this is the industry eating their own. Like, what do you think? Like, you know, we have, we spend millions of dollars a year, a year in attorney, in attorney fees. Okay. We do this so that we can maintain compliance. Okay. And not run afoul of the NSA or any issues with the ATS. Okay. With other people coming out who have gotten their product, they have an approval letter okay, that they've shown to their customers. And we haven't 
shown all of the approval letters simply because all of our products are essentially the same thing. Like we've said before, yeah. two flaps made out of rubber and a strap. It doesn't make sense to continue submitting it. Now the ATF, um, and there's a determination letter that came out, I think about a year and a half ago, where the ATF says, well, we don't decide what accessories are now. What we do is we look at the gun holistically and we decide what the firearm is. So now nobody can really submit an accessory. They have to submit it on a firearm. And here what the ATF is trying to say is that on every firearm you put this product on, it can be different based on what? Based on how the firearm is set up. So if you put a different sight on it, it could be NFA. If you put, uh, you know, a different kind of whatever. I mean, you can... The gun is different in every single possible configuration. They're so, changing their mind. Yeah. They're just, you know, making things up as they go along. Well, and, and, and not only that, but I mean, it seems like they're making it impossible for manufacturers to, to know whether or not uh, they can comply. Because, again, if you've got this arbitrary determination that varies from firearm to firearm, how on earth can any manufacturer, uh, you know, design a, a, a product, build a product, um, knowing that, uh, that this is going to be ATF compliant because the rules could change tomorrow. Exactly right. So Exactly right. It's great. So, I mean, do you think, Alex, that this is um, the buildup to, uh, uh, you know, sort of foreshadowing here what the ATF plans to do to the industry once uh, Joe Biden is inaugurated and we've got, uh, you know, the, the Biden administration in charge of the ATF? Oh, I mean, I certainly think that they feel emboldened by a possible Biden administration. I absolutely know that for a fact. And when we know that, that, that Marvin Richardson is a Democrat, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Again, it is good to have a bipartisan system. There's two sides, okay? They, uh, both sides want what's best for our country. They see a certain way to that path, and we, say it, we see a different way to that path. The problem is, when you're in a position of authority, like are in regulatory agency, you have to just put aside all of those political ambitions and say, I am here to uphold the law. I'm not here to, to push gun control. If you're in, you know, if you're in the, the IRS, you're not there to push for certain types of taxes. You're there to uphold the law. Okay. And if they want to bring certain types of laws to Congress, they can go to Congress and say, Hey, listen, this is what we suggest. And then it's up to Congress to do whatever they do, okay? But to come up with made-up rules, to shift the goalposts whenever they want, to feel emboldened now that there's a new, a new administration in town, and now that they can go after certain things that they've always wanted to go after, this is a clear indication that it is not an apolitical machine. This is a political machine, and that's wrong, absolutely wrong. So what can gun owners do uh, to push back about, uh, against this? What can they do to, to make their voices heard and to, uh, you know, try to rein in uh, the abuses that we've seen here? Well, uh, we've, you know, we talked about this when the whole Q thing came out, and Q was great at putting up uh, quick links to, you know, the, the White House, to the DOJ, to the congressman. Uh, we did the same thing. You can go to our Instagram page and, you know, we, we add some quick links there. There are, uh, you choose who you want to be part of. You don't like the NRA? Fine. Don't be part of the NRA. Join somebody else. There's a whole bunch of other, you know, uh, grassroots organizations that are out there uh, that, that hold the Second Amendment to high esteem. You pick. 
Uh, you know, we've been pushing frack action. That's frackaction.org. Mm-hmm. Go to them. Donate money. Talk to your congressperson. There's a lot of things that we can do to get involved. So the thing that I really despise seeing, and I think a lot of the thought when the bump stock issue came out, is that the types of responses from some people saying, well, I don't have it. You know, I don't care. It's not, it's not, it's not something for me. And, and I guess in, in a certain way, bump stock, I think they sold maybe 120,000 of those things. There's probably at this point more than 4 million braces on the market. Okay. This is not the same issue. People need to get involved. You can't just step back. And the one thing that should piss people off, and I never released this document because frankly, it's, it's full of falsehood. You know, it's just it's one lie after another, and we can pick them off. We've done that in the, the 10 minutes we've been talking about it, Cam. Um, it's just crazy that an agency would do something like that, that an agency that wields power, okay, would attempt to curtail. So hold on a second. I'll take that back. The agency that has the authority to, to wield power in the gun industry is sending me a cease and desist, not about my guns, but about how I'm marketing something. Think about that. Are they the SEC? No, they're the ATF. Who are you to tell me how I market my product? Yeah, that's, that in itself is really, uh, again, I mean, an egregious abuse of power because there's nothing within the ATF's purview uh, that gives them the authority to, to go after marketing materials, right? Right. <laughs> but think about this, okay? This letter is from 2018, and as we spoke about before, there's other approvals that on this letter that says these aren't approved that are from 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ammo Land, uh, their whole pitch was SB Tactical is selling illegal products, and they've been knowingly and willfully doing it, and they've been taking advantage of the industry. That that was their whole pitch. Okay, the thing is, if the ATF is the regulatory agency for firearms, okay. And they've approved some of these products back, well, at this point, since 2012. But they're saying that none of these products in here are approved. And it's 2020, almost 2021 now. Why is it that nobody has ever gotten a cease and desist for this? Why haven't they gone after Springfield or whoever? You name it. You know, we sell our products to everybody. Why aren't they going after SIG? They're, They're not... They're going after people who are who have oil filters that are, uh, you know, being imported from China. They're going after solvent traps. Right. You mean to tell me that the ATF is not going to go after people? Now, do I think that they feel emboldened now and now they might do it? But they've got some explaining to do to a judge if they're going to do it now. And they've thought about this for years now. Yeah, so uh, so that brings up a really good question. I mean, is this something? Obviously, when you're dealing with, you know, agency regulations, um, that that's a little bit different than a piece of legislation uh, that might be unconstitutional that could be challenged in court. Is this something that that you all can pursue a legal case against the ATF if they were to come back and all of a sudden determine, all right, you know what, all these braces, uh, well, they're against the law. They're they're illegal to own or they're NFA items. Uh, you know, we we just made this determination now. Is that something that that the industry or your company specifically can then uh, uh, sue the ATF over? We are already prepared for that. Okay. In other words, we have done everything we need to do that the minute something like that happens, we're already set. Now, again, we spend roughly a million dollars a 
year in attorneys. And I hate to come out and say that bluntly like that, but it's, it's just the way it is. It'd be great. It'd be really great if some of the other people that do the same thing that we do were out there doing the same thing that we're doing. Unfortunately, we're the tip of the spear, and we haven't really gotten help from anybody other than re- most recently the NRA. The NRA reached out to us. Uh, GOA reached out to us. Fire and Policy Coalition reached out to us. Some of these grassroots groups have been reaching out to us, and that's fantastic. We're finally getting some help. But we are ready for that fight. I don't want that fight. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's important to sit down with folks at the ATF and say, hey, you know, when, when, when it's time, let's sit down and let's talk about what the future looks like. What does that mean for the industry? There's no need to be, you know, throwing coconuts at each other. Well, yeah, because the last time you and I talked, uh, you know, you, you said uh, something that I, I, I really took to heart, and that is the industry simply wants standards that are clear, uh, that are understandable, uh, and that, that can be complied with. As opposed to these arbitrary and capricious changes to regulations that, you know, appear to just come up on a whim. Um, it's not that you all don't want. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are companies out there who would love to have, you know, the ATF simply go away entirely. But that's not going to happen, unfortunately, under a Biden administration. No. So the next best thing is you want regulations that are understandable and that can actually be followed. Right. Well, I mean, there's a way to do that. And. Historically, the way the industry has operated is most people have made their determination letters, their industry determination letters available. And we did that with the SB15. We've done it with uh, the MPX PSB. There have been some leaks about some of the other approvals that we've gotten. Uh, you know, the, our competitors have released their approval letters as well. And historically, the industry has said, well, okay. This has been approved. That's been approved. Uh, therefore, a combination of these things is obviously approved, and we move forward. And we don't have to continue, you know, badgering the ATF. Well, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? There's no, there's no um, obligation for us to submit something to the ATF. It is our obligation to make sure, to the best of our ability, to understand whether what we're trying to do is legal. And again, the way we've done that is through reading some of these letters that have been. Uh, released to the public. That's the way things are normally done. Now it's, you know, the ATF has gotten all political and it's, well, now we don't look at accessories and now the accessory has to be on a gun. And now it's about holistic view of things. And it's all, to me, it's, it's, it's legalese. I mean, it's obvious that the, the chief counsel's office for the ATF is running the show and Regina, who's the director and Marvin, who's the deputy director are just, they're taking the shots from, from their attorney. It used to not be like that. And it's funny, I had a good conversation with Mike Sullivan. It used to be that, you know, you would go to the attorneys to listen to what they said, but ultimately it's the politicals that make the decision. And that's the director and the deputy director. We're going to make a decision about this. The attorney's are not going to tell us how to run this thing. That's the way it should be. It's unfortunately not the way. Talking again with uh, Alex Bosco from SB Tactical. Alex, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the program with the update. And please uh, let us know if there are any new developments here. We'd love to have you back. But in the meantime, I think it's great advice for gun owners to get involved, whether it's through grassroots organizations, contacting your uh, your Congress critter, contacting the White House. But, you know, we got to make some noise so we can uh, uh, get this on more folks' radar. 
Thanks for having me, Cam. All right. I appreciate Alex joining us on the program. And I, I, I know that, you know, we kind of get into the technical weeds with this issue, but you have to. And this is, I think, in part by design, the ATF uh, and anti-gun uh, activists within the bureaucracy know that, you know, if they try to make this issue as technical as possible, casual gun owners, people who are not, you know, hugely invested in, in their Second Amendment activism, at least not yet, maybe the, you know, one of the seven million plus new gun owners in this country, they're not going to necessarily understand the stakes involved here and the issues involved. So that, again, it, 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 as, as Alice kind of noted, like when you're talking with bump stocks, you know, you got people who say, well, eh, it doesn't really apply to me, so I'm not going to get involved. The same thing when it comes to pistol braces. And you may have, you know, a, a, a sizable number of gunners who say, I don't really understand this issue, so I'm not going to pick up my phone, contact my Congress critter and uh, express my outrage. Well, y- you need to, because, again, this is not going to stop here. This is uh, the tip of the iceberg, I think, for some of the administrative actions that the ATF will be taking over the next couple of years. Uh, and they're only going to get broader and wider in scope, quite frankly. All right. So we're going to pay attention to this issue. We'll bring any more updates as they become available right now, though. Let's get to today's armed citizen story. Our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We're going to start there with a story that uh, broke over the Thanksgiving holiday, a church stabbing in San Jose, California. And the suspect in this case, Fernando de Jesus Lopez Garcia, now facing two counts of murder, three counts of attempted murder, battery on a spouse or cohabitant, as well as a violation of a protective order. According to authorities, Lopez Garcia had a lengthy criminal history. And as a matter of fact, had been deported three previous times. Yeah. Yeah before he allegedly uh, stabbed several people at Grace Baptist Church shortly before uh, 8 p.m. on Sunday night. When they arrived, officers uh, located five victims inside the church suffering from at least one stab wound each. Uh, The suspect for the stabbing victims, members of the uh, San Jose homeless community, the fifth victim, a volunteer who's working at Grace Baptist Church, CBS in uh, San Francisco, uh, quoted the police chief there in uh, San Jose, as saying that the uh, suspect had been deported from the United States on three prior occasions, but had returned to California. And he said on his latest misdemeanor domestic violence offense in Santa Clara County, an immigration detainer was sent. Although notification would have been allowed under SB 54, the California Values Act, it was not honored. And he was subsequently released. In other words, the sanctuary policies in Santa Clara County put this suspect back onto the streets without law enforcement notifying ICE that this guy was in custody, could be picked up, and could be deported again. The uh, police chief also said that De Jesus Lopez Garcia was released on his own recognizance by a judge on this domestic uh, violence offense. Yeah, despite protests from the Santa Clara County DA, Jeff Rosen, over concerns with the suspect's violent history, Suspect additionally on probation out of San Joaquin County for domestic violence. He had an active warrant in Santa Clara County for failing to comply with the conditions of his release at the time of the stabbing for failure to appear in court. Uh, even Mayor Sam Licardo, who, by the way, loves gun control. He does. I mean, not a fan of the Second Amendment. Sam Licardo, though, also not a fan of uh, Santa Clara County's sanctuary policies. He said in this case, I'm told the county received an ICE detainer arrest, but did not notify ICE of the defendant's release. He should have been in jail, in federal custody, in drug treatment, or in jail in his own country, but not on the streets in our own 
community. So Santa Clara County, obviously, you know, we've been talking about the concealed carry scandal involving the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office. Now another black eye for the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office when even the mayor, the uber liberal mayor of San Jose says, look, this guy should have been picked up. He, he should not have been put back onto the streets. He should have been picked up by ICE. The uh, Sheriff's Office should have let uh, ICE know about this. It didn't happen. Multiple scandals, I think, now for uh, Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith, who still is bitterly clinging to her position of power there in uh, Santa Clara County. Now, on to our armed citizen story today. Broward County, Florida, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, this is just an absolutely unbelievable story. A uh, 70-year-old man suffered uh, polio when he was a kid, lifelong disabilities as a result. He's at his home in Broward County the other night, gets out of the shower, starkers naked, looks, just glances out the window and sees a stranger's face there. So he goes to the front door and he turns on the porch light thinking, all right, this is going to scare the guy away, right? Bright light. Nah, it's like a moth to a flame. Guy goes to the front door, starts trying to get in. So this 70-year-old man, Bill Norkunas, grabs his gun, grabs a phone, calls 911, says, hey, somebody's trying to break into my house. Can somebody get here? And for 15 minutes, Mr. Norkunas is on the phone with 911 dispatchers. Other neighbors start calling in. Hey, there's a guy here. He's in our neighborhood. At one point, the guy tries to bash through Bill Norkunas' front door. And he's still on the phone with dispatchers. He is pleading for help. Get the cops here quick, he says, four minutes into the phone call. Three minutes later, he says, Sheriff, hurry up, please. Three more minutes go by. Now it's 10 minutes he's been on the phone. Where the hell are the cruisers? They're still not here. Jesus Christ, he says. There's still no cruisers. Come to my house, please, please. And where were sheriff's deputies? About 500 yards away and around the corner where they had set up, they say, a perimeter to ensure that this guy couldn't escape. Yeah, but they did nothing. They didn't approach Bill Narcunas' house. When this guy, identified as 23-year-old Timothy Johnson, left Narcunas' house and then started trying to get into other neighbors' homes, he still didn't get involved. They, they, they waited basically until this guy wandered up to them, and then they took him into custody. As you can imagine, people are pretty ticked off about this. They want to know why this happened. Sheriff's office so far refusing to provide any answers. Sheriff's office says that um, there, there's an ongoing investigation into the response by deputies. And they say that the office is constantly reviewing and assessing, quote, its responses to emergency calls in order to provide the highest level of service to the public. Well, this not the highest level of service to the public. By the way, Timothy Johnson's already bonded out. Yeah, he's, he's back out on the streets. Bill Norkunas, by the way, I, I don't think is going to be as reluctant to use his firearm in self-defense if this happens again. And he says many of his neighbors say that they now want to purchase a firearm for their protection too. As I said earlier, this is, um, it, it, it bears some resemblance to the unwillingness of uh, Broward County deputies to go into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School when innocent lives were being taken back on uh, February 14th, 2018. Scott Israel is no longer the sheriff in Broward County. He tried to run for re-election. He got defeated. But clearly there are still some issues here. And look, I, I know I know the Supreme Court precedent in Castle Rock versus Gonzalez 
that police are under no obligation to protect you as an individual. They're there to protect and serve the community, but not you specifically as an individual. So I understand all that. I get it. But there's still, there still needs to be some answers. Fine. You don't have a legal responsibility to go to Mr. Nurkunis' house and try to take this guy into custody. But why did you decide not to do that? Why did you decide instead to wait 500 yards away and hope that this guy would just simply wander over to you as he did where you could take him into custody? What is the thought process there? And if this is how criminals are going to be uh, dealt with on a regular basis in Broward County, you can rest assured that the number of armed citizens in Broward, yeah, is going to skyrocket. Now, finally, our uh, good deed of the day. This from uh, Montclair State University uh, with uh, a story about an alumni, actually just graduated about a year or so ago, Nick Volpe, class of 2019, rookie police officer now in uh, New York, excuse me, in uh, New Jersey, in uh, Howell Township, uh, saving the life of an innocent man that had been uh, stuck in a, a burning car. Uh, Volpe said, I saw the car start to smoke and then light up in flames as a Saturday evening. I uh, ran up to the car after it struck a tree. Clouds of smoke billowing out, flames already spreading. He said there was no way this guy was getting out of there. Looking back on it, I don't think he would have because of how fast the fire started. But uh, Volpe ended up uh, wrestling the guy through an open driver's side window. Gets him out of the vehicle. He said, my adrenaline was running. He said, once I pulled up, I kind of saw what was happening step by step. He said, you know, this is what I probably got to do. So that, that's what I'm expected to do. So that's what I do. Nick Volt, by the way, is a rookie police officer, still on probation. Uh, but the uh, chief in uh, Howell, New Jersey, Andy Kudrick, says that uh, Volpe is not going to have to worry about being on probation much longer. That uh, after incidents like this, yeah, he's had his trial by fire, no pun intended. So in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. Nick Volpe there in Howell, New Jersey. We thank you for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. You can also, if you just want the audio version, that's cool. We get it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, some other ones too, I'm sure. But those are the biggies. Uh, townhall.com's podcast page. You can also find us there as well. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. But in the meantime, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company.